Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. All right, I'm recording now, so everything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. I'm Tony. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Tony? I'm really good. So you're from, you're Jeff Dickerman I am. from Optech. Correct, yes. Is that right? Okay. That is right, yep. Well, welcome to our little podcast. Let me just give a brief introduction. Welcome back, everybody, to Space Junk Podcast. I'm Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space. Dustin Gibson's out there from OPT Telescopes. Hi, Dustin. Hey, Tony. I'm super excited to have Jeff here. This is one I've wanted to do for a while, and we're just going to kind of tell some stories about the industry, but uh, Optech is a company we're very close to. Uh, the accessories, mostly, most of the accessories we sell actually would be Optech, and it's just uh, one of the brands that it just works, and it works every single time. And so we absolutely love when people uh, when people go that route because we know for sure that they're going to be happy with it. And um, great people, Jeff and Tina, are phenomenal, phenomenal people to work with, and super happy to have you in the studio here, Jeff. Well, thank you. I'm I'm really glad to be here. This is a this is something I look forward to as well. So it should be fun. Well, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Jeff. So tell us a little bit about Optech, the company. What do you guys do, and what are you guys about? Well, let's see. We uh, I guess Optech makes uh, everything between the scope and the uh, camera, in a sense. Um, and all of our stuff is designed typically to be used, uh, remotely, whether that's in your backyard or halfway around the world. Um, we, uh, uh, we've been working hard for, gosh, we just celebrated 40 years. Uh, I joined the company, God, back in 88, but, uh, the company has been around since 1979. So we celebrate 40 years this year. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. That's thank you. Deal. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to make a big change this year though, because, we've been concentrating on all the technical stuff and, and we really want to get back to visual astronomy. So we're just going to start going back to, you know, making things just for eyepieces and photons to the eye. That's what we're after. You'll make, Oh, you man after my own heart. So, <laughs> when, so when you, when you say you're, you're getting more back to the, uh, to the, out of the technical, what have you, what does that mean? What have you been doing? I'm actually teasing on that. Um, oh. uh, little Birdie told me that uh, Dustin does not uh, necessarily <laughs> like visual astronomy so much. Yeah. Oh, he no, says that. But you know what? He is. He just won't admit it. That's the so, thing about So, look, look. I've got... <laughs> I've got, you guys always give me shit about this. I've got a 20-inch daub at home that I do visual astronomy with regularly, right? It's just, when I, if I have my choice, I'm not going to be standing on a ladder in the middle of the night looking at the super faint fuzzy, I'm going to be taking a high resolution image and looking at it two seconds later instead of, okay, live, <laughs> it's coming in live, but I'm standing in the dark on a, a ladder, you know, and it's just, and not, you get dizzy. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's not, can't have that. But yeah. yeah, so, so the Optech stuff, it re so we have it in our remote observatory. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually the truth is uh, all of Optech stuff is designed for the remote observer. Yeah. Uh, the remote imager. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very high end stuff. It has all the bells and whistles of anything out there, but generally at a, a lower price than what you'd get, you know, buying a lot of the custom solutions that are out there. So, 
Yeah, we try to um, we try to come up with some uh, creative, intelligent solutions, but uh, make enough of them that we can you know push out to uh, the broader market. So that's the trick. Then is just producing in mass. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in mass is you know still small. We're, sure. We do runs of twenty five to fifty. You know. So, right, uh, right. But everything is is handcrafted. Uh, we do everything in house. We've got a machine shop. We populate our own boards. We've got a reflow oven. Just bought a three D printer. Got wow. there. They're putting it together today. They're probably going to make a spectrograph before I get home. Man. Yeah. Oh, well, it'll be fun. You guys are busy. Yeah, we try to be. Yeah. <clears throat> so the idea for this podcast was, um, so these are, these are obviously laid back podcasts, sure. right? We can, we can say whatever we want to say. Uh, as Tony said, it will be held against you, but you know, as all things are, we know that and should be comfortable with that at this point. Right. But <clears throat> what, what the idea was, was why don't we just tell some stories, man? I've, I've experienced the craziest stuff since coming into this industry. You've been in this industry way longer than I have even. I know you've got to have stories. <laughs> and uh, Tony, you've been on the other side of it, man, the professional space. I want to know the things that I didn't get to hear while we were in New York um, that have been both inspiring and just funny. Jeff, let's start with you then as far as some stories. Uh, why don't you give us uh, background? I guess one of the things I'd like to know before we get too far into this, though, real quick, is that you said that you handle most things between the telescope and the mount. And, I, and the, specific, the camera and the camera, I'm sorry, the camera, uh, yep. the, the, the thing that um, I, I want to point out to people who are listening that may not be familiar with your company is that you're really big on on focusers. And uh, and in fact, that's one of the things that's on the front page of your website. So can we can we just talk a little bit about how important these motorized focusers are and how much easier they make your life as an observer, whether it's visual or camera observing? Well, yeah, um, the you know, your focus on a telescope is, you know, that's called the zero order correction. It's the very first correction you have to do. And that means bringing the image sensor or your eyeball, if you're, if you're into eyeball, like uh, Dustin is, <laughs> you got to bring that into the focus zone, right? So you, you've got to motorize it if you're going to be doing anything remotely, cause you're not there to tweak the knob. Right. And so we've been doing this for years. We came out with our first uh, robotic focuser back in 2000, the TCFS. TCF uh, is temperature compensating focuser. So it also compensates for, you know, changing temperatures. And why, why does the temperature matter? Well, the temperature, <clears throat> most scopes will be affected by temperature um, as the, uh, think of a Schmidt Cassegrain, right? And the good old classic Schmidt Cass with an aluminum tube. You got two mirrors. You got a, uh, your primary mirror and your secondary mirror, and the focus gets thrown out behind the primary. Well, as the tube contracts, as the night cools, things shrink, right? That brings those two mirrors together. The focus has got to move. Right. And so the focus moves outward. So what we do is with our temperature compensating focusers, we chase that focus basically. Mm -hmm. And we use a linear model for that. And, uh, um, we have a little learning wizard, so it's easy enough to set up. And once you set it up, it, I mean, in the old days, we wouldn't focus for months and months. Wow, well, wait really? a minute. What's Seriously, the learning? Yeah. <clears throat> what's the learning wizard learning? Is it learning the flexure and the the temperature sensitivity of the telescope optical assembly, or is it the metal on the it's it, on its own focus? What it's what it's made of itself. What is it learning? Well, it's learning the the change in focal position, right? And that that's typically due to the uh, aluminum tube. Uh, some scopes, like my TOA one eighty, for instance, or one thirty, uh, is um, is just the opposite. When the tube cools down, the focus moves inward, and that's due to the uh, cooling of the glass. So it's a little bit different, but it doesn't matter because the focus wizard is just taking data points. So we start, we do a wizard, like I say, a learn wizard that uh, you start at the beginning of the night. 
do your imaging at the end of the night, you wrap up your wizard and it's taken a whole bunch of these data points. And then it plots the uh, linear relationship between the move, the first move and the last move, for instance. You make it sound so easy. It's simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's one line of code. <laughs> it is to you and me, I guess. <laughs> and so then once, um, so once this runs, then each night, you know, because it's going to be predictable if it changes with this temperature today, it's going to be the same if the temperature changes tomorrow. Yes. It's going to have the, the relative movement or the relative shift, right? And so once that's in, you're saying you don't have to focus for months because it just goes to wherever the temperature is and it knows what the focus is. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Now, temperature compensation got a bad bad rap early on, though, <clears throat> because uh, some manufacturers um, would make uh, put the temperature probe in the electronics box, which is not ideal because those electronics boxes generate, generate heat. Mm -hmm. And so you get this elevated temperature and it doesn't track well with the um, with the scope itself. So like I've talked with uh, Dr. Arnie Hendon, he's the uh, he former. Um, head of the AAVSO, for instance. Um, and he said in his early career, he did a bunch of temperature compensation studies. And he said, there's always a linear zone on every telescope. Your trick is to find it. What's a linear zone? The linear zone is that part of the telescope where the um, the movement of the temperature, or the change of the temperature, I should say, tracks that movement of the focus well. Okay. And with aluminum tube SCTs, it's always the aluminum tube. Well, you ship all of your temperature compensating stuff with the little foam uh, yeah. pieces, and that's that's where the probe goes. It goes on top of that to isolate it, right? Or yeah, it. basically, uh, the TCF, for instance, comes out with a um, it comes with a, a temperature probe that you would put on the side of the scope, mm -hmm. and then we send some thermal adhesive foam that goes over it, and that adheres it to it, and you can unplug it and plug it back in. But uh, um, we want to be right on that uh, that temperature. Um, where the linear zone is. And like I say, and with most scopes, it is the, uh, and the aluminum tubes or the carbon fiber, even carbon fiber moves, you really? know? It, yeah. It's, uh, typically about a third and there's a lot of variation. Yeah. Um, so it's not truly thermally stable. It's just closer, much closer. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Usually you get at least a, uh, you know, one third improvement. So, so what I've been doing in my remote observatories is I just have it refocused like every 40 minutes or so. And that's pretty common. Yeah. Um, that's very common. A lot of folks are doing that out there in the field. Um, you do lose some time. You do. Because yeah. you go off axis, you got to refocus. Yeah. Quite a bit of time. I mean, because a focusing run takes, uh, you know, a couple minutes. It does. So you're losing at least an exposure each night, but generally more. Yeah. Um, so what, um, if I want to, if I, if anyone wants to do this, you literally, you have it set up to the point where you can just do an imaging run and have this wizard running in the background. Yes. And that will... That'd be on night one, if you night would. One. Yeah, you'd wow. do it the first night. And then it just saves it to our um, firmware, to our EEPROMs. And uh, it, it will be, if you enact temperature compensation next time out, it'll just pick up from wherever you are. You know, it's funny because I haven't used the temperature compensating because of exactly what you're describing. I've seen uh, people talk about it like it's not something that would work or, yep. you know. So that's because of the old days when people were putting these probes in the wrong places. Yeah. Or they didn't have an external probe at all. It was like, right. like I say, right in the electronics box. Yeah. Wow. Um, now uh, we have a product called Focus Lock, mm -hmm. which is unique. Uh, we partnered with Innovation Foresight, um, Gaston Baudet, uh, PhD type, very bright. Right. Got the idea that uh, um, when he he has a product called the On Axis Guider. Of course, yep. the On Axis Guider is a, a cold mirror, um, the dichroic splitter that uh, is on an angle. So your uh, image is thrown above your primary imaging um, light, you know, 
350, it's 750. It's the reverse of an off-axis guider. It's it's a little bit different than an off-axis guider because an off-axis guider uses a small prism to pick off a corner. So you're not on axis, right? right. You're off-axis. Right. Uh, uh, optical axis being the center of the scope. Um, the off-axis, or the on-axis guider, rather, actually images or uh, guides on axis. Mm-hmm. So we're using this beam splitter. So we image with the visual and we guide in the infrared. Well, here's a problem. See, back in the early days, we want to go way back, right? SBIG and their original uh, ST cameras, right? Right. Well, <clears throat> Alan Holmes was originally trying to, to uh, um, use a beam splitter, but he was doing the visual in the back, right? So when you pass light through a diagonal piece of glass, it introduces astigmatism. Okay. Astigmatism is a bear. Yeah. So he gave up on that and then he ended up putting the small prism and voila, the ST cameras were invented. Right. Right. Well, Gaston went back and looked at the problem. He said, well, I can use that astigmatism. If I reflect the visible light up rather than pass it through, I can use it. It's good. There's no astigmatism. Yeah. But if I put a, a guide camera back there, I'm going to be able to guide. Now I'm going to get some astigmatism, Which but I can live ma- with that. Yeah, Who it doesn't cares? matter in your guiding. But here's the cool thing. With astigmatism, you now know which side of focus you're on. Oh, yeah. Wow. So that's what yeah. focus lock does. Focus lock looks at that image. Every time your guide camera throws an image out, whether it's, you know, SkyX or, or uh, Maxim DL or PhD or whatever, we grab that image. We analyze that image independently. The guiding software still does their, um, uh, you know, their guide algorithm. They, they do the centroid on the blob, whatever it looks like. And they take care of that. So they still bump the scope as they need to. But now we have information on where focus is. We lock onto focus. Once we lock onto it, you don't have to focus anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Vic Coley has been doing this for a couple of years now and he just doesn't focus anymore. He doesn't have to. So focus lock takes an image that already has been created, looks at it, decides where it is in the focus and then changes. Yeah, it, it will drive you to best focus, but more importantly, it'll keep you in best focus. So as long as you're guiding, you're in focus. And that only works, though, with um, an on-axis guider. Correct. And then we have, uh, we've developed, uh, along with Gaston, we've, we've developed a product called Lacerta, which is a small insert that goes into an off-axis guider or an off-axis camera, guide camera like a Lodestar 2. And with the introduction of our new Sagitta off-axis guider, we're going to be able to drop them piece of glass in there too. Right. And uh, so basically we're going to be able to have the same introduced astigmatism yeah. on an off axis guider the way the on axis guider work and uh, focus lock just keeps you in focus. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't get what a cold mirror is. Um, okay. A cold help me, mirror. Help me is, visualize what the, what's going on here. Okay. Let's see. Um, so, okay. So, so you know, lights coming, this, lights coming <clears> through the back of the tube toward the focus plane, focal plane. What mm-hmm. is the mirror? What does the focuser have on it that makes it? Well, the focuser um, is going to be whatever focus you've got a, a TCF in front, a TCF Leo, or uh, you know Feather Touch or whatever. Okay. Um, but the think of a cold mirror. <clears throat> if you can visualize a star diagonal, right? Yeah. Where your eyepiece, your eyepiece is on top, right? Right. Gotcha. Okay, so up there we have our imaging camera instead of your eyepiece. The glass is not a mirror, but it's a dichroic. So it passes everything above 750 nanometers, which we don't care about so much when we're imaging, mm-hmm. to, the, to the back, to an open port in the back, a T-thread in the back. 
right? And you have a guide camera back. You can have a big one. You have like a 1600 or something like that, you yeah. know, a big, big sensor back there. Right. You never have to look for another guide star. Oh, yeah. So whatever the star diagonal is made of, it's got something in it that lets the longer wavelengths through and reflects the shorter wavelengths up into the camera. Exactly. And that's what we call a cold mirror. And the reason it's a cold mirror is because cold is typically, you know, not infrared. So cold mirror would be the visible band is getting reflected. The opposite thing is a hot mirror, which reflects infrared. I see. And so you don't lose photons uh, in the optical uh, when you're imaging you, with you this You lose mirror? everything above 750 because that's passing through typically. And, and basically who cares, right? Because you're not imaging in the infrared. But wait a minute. The infrared, uh, the, the atmosphere is pretty opaque in those wavelengths, isn't it? Typically, yeah, to a point. Um, so you're you not know, getting many <clears throat> photons, infrared well, actually photons. The, well, okay, I should be I should be careful. You're opaque much further up. You know, you're not opaque at you, you know. So maybe around ten thousand uh, uh, angstroms. Well, yeah, certainly that high up. So, but uh, you know, there I think there's a couple of windows. There's a window at like nineteen hundred. But we're you know we're talking your typical CCD or CMOS sensor is going to be sensitive up through maybe a thousand nanometers or a little higher, and. Uh, um, it's that 750 to a thousand that we don't want to image anyway, because for one thing, Hey, that's going to be focused at a different spot anyway. Yeah. Right. right? That's, that's where I was about to go with that. So, okay. So you, you typically, <laughs> all your luminance, all your filters out there basically cut out that infrared anyway, because you don't want that. Otherwise you get big blobby stars. I'll be damned. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. That's really cool. It's strange because I'm sitting here looking at Jeff and he has like a normal sized head. You know, <laughs> but he doesn't he does. talk as if his like, head is yeah. the normal sized humans. Like I'm looking right now. I swear to God, I I can see it. It's the strangest thing. Oh, well, that's good that you have a normal sized head. <laughs> well, I appreciate. It. Yeah, <laughs> but Man, you speak as I if your just... head is much much larger than it is. <laughs> in fact, I was imagining this bulbous head over here in the in the, in the audio since this is audio I only. Wanted, I can't see you. <laughs> I just want to clarify for all the listeners, you know. Yeah, we'll, well I'm glad. Yeah, because yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, it's yeah. He, otherwise, he'd be have a hard time getting through <laughs> doors, and and it would yeah. just be. All kinds of all kinds of trouble. Okay, well, this brings me to my first story about focusers back in the day. Okay, you ready for my story? Yep, let's hear. Okay, it. so I my story is that back in the early two thousands, I basically left amateur astronomy to go in the uh, professional realm, and I didn't get a chance to work much until recently when I met Dustin, and now I'm getting back into it again. But the the I ha used to have a, a 10 inch LX 200 and, um, I had built in my college years, a cookbook CCD camera for my junior physics project. You have to pick a project. And I, I sure. picked that one and I built that cookbook camera. It was a 640 by 480, uh, TI chip in it. I forget the name now. Uh, and I, I built all of it and water cooled the whole thing, but it was a bitch to focus, right? I just, I mean, it was just getting anything in focus was hopeless because all I had was the standard knob that you get on a LX 200. You turn the primary mirror up and down, you get mirror shift, you get all kinds of stuff because the pixel scale and the field of view of this telescope was so tiny and, and, you know, it was just super sensitive. So I bought my very first 
I wish I could remember the brand I bought, but it was my very first electronic focuser. It was made by a company in Colorado. I do remember that. It, it wasn't DFM Engineering, but it was somebody who did really good machining. And I paid like $700 for this focuser. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was just wonderful. And it had all it had was a hand paddle that lets you move the focus in and out with a little digital readout. I had a number on it. And that changed my life. Because what I could do is get a mask, put one of those, mine was just a three circle mask that fit over the objective of the of the LX 200 and uh i get you know i i was in focus when i no longer had when three stars merged into one star and then i knew i was in i was about as good as i could get back in the day now they have better masks and people do all kinds of stuff and then i would write down that number that i had for my focus with that setup right and it changed my life because it went from you know, getting, I mean, most of my night, if not all of my night was spent on that, trying to get a decent focus, getting Mars in focus, getting Jupiter, whatever it was. And that I cannot emphasize the importance of a digital motorized focuser. It didn't shift. It went straight back and forth. It had ball bearings on it. And it, you know, the CCD camera was very lightweight. It was very small by today's standards. So that didn't matter, but you know, it was, it changed everything when it came to focusing. And then I started using it with my Nagler eyepieces. I was using it constantly because it just was such a joy to use. So if you're out there and you're struggling with focusing, whether you're a visual observer or a uh, an imager, you need to think hard about how you're focusing your telescope. Because if you're doing it with whatever came with the telescope, you're suffering. And I feel your pain because I was there. But there's all kinds of opportunities out there. Now, this was not temperature compensated. The number that I wrote down for being in focus was only good for that night. <laughs> I had to do it. You know, it, it was a different number if I went out on a different night, which brings me to my question about the Optech focusers. If I change what's behind the focuser, like I go from a camera to an eyepiece, I have sure. to refocus, don't I? <clears throat> yeah, generally. And do, um, is there an easy way for it to tell that I'm got an eyepiece in there now? I'm trying to think you could uh, have some presets, for instance. I think the key to your original experience, I think that was Black Forest Observatory, if I remember right, that was, was it uh, your original focuser? Was it silver one? Kind of yes. unanodized? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he had a bad fire years ago. I can't oh, did he? Name. So you know who I'm uh, talking right about though, right? I do. It was exactly. just some guy. Yeah. yeah. It was just some guy. Yeah. He was just, he had a machine shop. <laughs> he was real clever, real smart guy. Mm -hmm. um, but what he gave you was repeatability, right? Yes, exactly. That's and ha right. and hands-free focusing. So you didn't have to touch the the uh, focuser or the and, and that mirror shift was driving me nuts. I didn't have to worry yep. about that mirror shift anymore either. Yep, so. yep. And in today's stuff, you know, you can set presets. So you'd have to do it once. You know, you get your focus for your camera and then you, you get a separate fo independent focus for your uh, eyepiece and you have a preset between the two of them and it'll just go there. You know, and all of our stuff does that. All of our stuff has a uh, phone app, so you can actually use your uh, iPhone or your Android as a oh, uh, focus mechanism if you wanted to. <laughs> um, things like that. Um, hey, but Google. Yeah, so that's... F focus my yep. telescope. <laughs> yeah. Alexa. Alexa, Alexa. Give me a good focus. I'm, go I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm going to bed. Take a picture. While you're at it, give me a picture of the Eagle Nebula. <laughs> Well, that's great. You know, okay. we're, we're laughing, but that's probably coming. It oh, is. It's, yeah. It's, it's in the works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, that early focuser, the, the, or the cookbook camera rather that you had, mm -hmm. um, that was actually a big sensor in the old days. 
The first one was oh, I know. little borescope focusers. Little yeah, TI, what was that called? Little I uh, I Texas instruments. It. Yeah, it was a TI chip, and <laughs> you had to bin it though. I couldn't. I didn't really use it in six forty by four eighty mode. I used it in three twenty by whatever, and and uh, that oh. was that was the pro- because of the pixel scale of my telescope. It was such that I had to. I binned it. I think it was for. I think it was for shorter exposures. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, all of my problems came from focusing. Uh, and not taking good flat fields. I I was still learning how to do that back then, and I couldn't I couldn't get a good flat for for that. So there's always artifacts in my images. But I don't know. It was a it was a good learning experience. I learned a lot about CCD cameras, how they read out, and uh, you know the, this was had a, it had a serial port. You had to use the software that came with the book um, to read to read it out. I still have that camera. And I still have the floppies that the software's on, but I don't think I'll ever get it fired up again. <laughs> floppies. Yeah. The floppies. Yeah, you should see Tony's original setup, man. It was this really nice telescope. It had this awesome Polaroid camera on the back of it. You <laughs> oh, know? yeah. And oh, we dreamed of Polaroid, man. <laughs> he, had, he had the perfect, like, wrist shakedown to shake that film afterwards. I'm telling you. That's right. You you gotta, almost... That's right. The kind you got to shake. You got to do it just right. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you closed your eyes and used your imagination, you could see the Orion Nebula. that's true that's very true especially with the focus i was getting before i got that other focuser oh my god yeah what is this smudge here well that's the orion nebula honey uh oh that's great that's that's lovely and okay how much did we spend on this (laughs) (laughs) that's always a million dollar question isn't it the cfo is always asking how much is this again yeah yeah (laughs) So, Jeff, I want to know, man, I've had the most interesting experiences since uh, becoming part of this industry. And you really you've been in a lot longer than I have. But um, I want to know if it's just me, if I'm just like a magnet for horrible things at these astronomy <laughs> events or if this happens industry wide because you, you'd you be a good sample of, of that. Right. You've been in forever. God, yeah, um, I have been. I hate to say it, but yeah, I've been around a long time. If you're going to be somewhere though, this is the place to be. I think that's, a Oh great yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel, I feel so fortunate. I, I mean, I'm yeah. never going to get rich, but I don't care about that. You know, it's, it's one of those things that I get to do what I really love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I feel like we make a, a small impact anyway on the, uh, on the science. I, I come from kind of the science background. And, yep. um, so I was here out in California for the, the SAS society for astronomical sciences, mm-hmm. kind of a pro-am collaboration. And uh, I've been going to that since 1988, maybe. I think it was the first one I went to. Wow. So as soon as you got in at Optic? As soon as I started at Optic. Yeah, I was oh. stationed out here in the Marines and okay. uh, went home. Couldn't find a job for a couple months. Job pops up at Optic for a secretary. I told my wife at the time, you know, hey, uh, you shouldn't go down there. I might get some discounts. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, uh, oh, I don't know about anything about that. So I went and applied. I was working nights and... Uh, Jerry Persia was the uh, founder of the company owner. Um, he, uh, he kind of liked me and uh, hired me. He said he hired me over a pretty girl. So I feel good about that. That is good. Yeah. yeah. But I do not look good in dresses. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that visual. The story's getting better. <laughs> Don't knock well, feeling anyways, pretty, man. It's how you feel. Not I, how that's you what you were you saying, know? Tony. That's you right, were saying yeah. you look pretty. That's right. I feel you pretty. Feel pretty that's today. right. You got to feel. It's how you, how you feel that matters. Don't let Dustin, right. don't let Dustin stop you on that. <laughs> I would never try. I would never try. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, 88, you go to. Uh, I go to Optech. Yeah. I'm yeah. working nights. I'm a computer operator at a local uh, manufacturer. And, uh, 
So I start working with him and uh, he made me a good offer after my son Lee was born because, uh, you know, insurance and all that back in then was back in those days was a problem. You had to <clears throat> pregnancy was considered a pre-existing condition. So <laughs> we had to wait until the baby was born. And then he made me an offer and I came in and worked for him full time and kind of took over sales. And, you know, we never we've never really grown, but we always try to stay on the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're still, you know, about 10 people and and we try. It's nice because we can be really flexible. We can turn on a dime if we need to. Yeah. And I'm working with Chris right now, Chris Andron, yep. on a special project. And, uh, you know, we're able to get a good design together pretty quickly for them. And and I think that's kind of one of our strengths as a small company. They always say that. Every time I'm talking to the pro services team about Optech, they always say that you guys do that for them. And, and they need a lot of custom solutions. And you're always the first one they call. So I know they very much appreciate that, uh, that agility, being able to do things that... Uh, most of the industry wouldn't have the know-how or the capability, right, to to get done. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so do you feel like, um, so when you go to astronomy events, it's a pretty normal, it's it's what you expect each time. Yeah, um, each each show is a little different, mm-hmm. right? What's your um, favorite show to go to? I actually like the SAS. SAS, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I should probably be politically correct, but it's a bunch of old guys. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's yeah. get into it. Yeah, we've talked about that many uh, times here. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and you know what? They're um, they're really amateur scientists in the in the old school way. You know, the old the old 18th century uh, amateurs that were really doing real science. Right. And uh, uh, this year, I brought out uh, Daniel Van Nord, my my programmer, and he's definitely in that class. They love this guy. Yeah. You know, he's only. I don't know, 30 years old and I don't think he's 30 yet. Um, but they just loved him and, and he, he fits in well and, and I enjoy it. I'm the dumbest guy in the room there, but, uh, but I'm glad they let me in. Yeah. <laughs> bigger, Still bigger like heads me. are yeah, there. <laughs> Very big. Yeah. Yes. I think there's some aliens. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, we, uh, we attend a lot of different, uh, events as I'm sure I know you do. Cause we, we see you at some of them, but, uh, actually Neef was one where we, we saw you. You yes. guys do very well at Neef there. Yeah. Yeah. We, Neef is, uh, you know, it's a drive for us. We drive about, uh, I think it's about 11, 12 hours. Um, wow. so we can carry a lot of gear. Yeah. Cause we got a lot of stuff, you know, yeah. and I like showing off stuff. You I'm do. A you bring guy. a lot to Neef. Yeah. We try to, yeah. um, pretty much everything. Yeah. I, I try to at least bring, we have a million different ways to focus, mm-hmm. you know, well, that's exaggerating. Yeah. Not quite that many, yeah. but, um, we have a lot of different, uh, focusing solutions. And uh, so I try to show those off and, uh, and the rotators and things like that as well. You know, in my first year, um, owning OPT here with Jenny, I, <laughs> I went to Neef. So for the first time, and I also, um, went to another, uh, event called nightfall. Uh, do you go to nightfall? I don't No, Nightfall's <clears throat> awesome. It's yeah. That's really, really in the, cool. that's in the autumn around here, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. It's definitely around here. It's about an hour from here. But, yeah. But uh, it's like August, September yeah, or something like a, that. It's an awesome event. Yeah. Really dark skies, beautiful. And it's more, it's more centered around the star party than it is the expo, yep. you know, but Neef, my first experience of Neef, everybody was telling me, and that's the Northeast astronomy forum, but everybody was telling me like, this is the event it's in New York. You got to go out there. And, um, you know, it's a big deal. You've got the entire industry there. There's so many people. And um, so, you know, I thought we were headed to New York City mm-hmm. and it's not. It's, you know, you fly into New York City and then you drive a, an hour or more out into kind of the middle of nowhere. Right. Suffern. Yep. Suffern. Suffern, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it's in uh, like a gymnasium out there. At, uh, I think it's like a community college or. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's yeah. And 
you get in. So when we're pulling up from the outside, I'm like, what the hell is this? I thought this was going to be like this huge, probably in like a, you a know, convention, convention center. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you're pulling up and I was really kind of like, ah, oh, disheartened. But then you walk in and everyone in the industry is there. Everyone. And um, it's a really awesome event. I was really excited about it. I was going to be a guest speaker. I was speaking on uh, simple imaging that year. And um, man, I bet in the first hour of my experience, so I'm like riding this high of getting to meet everybody all at once instead of traveling one by one to go meet everyone. And um, the first question when I give my, it's a 30 minute presentation. The first question that somebody raises their hand and says, this guy looks like Einstein, by the way, right? He says, um, hey, will you walk me through imaging from equipment acquisition to uh, data acquisition to post-processing, right? Mm -hmm. So literally everything there is to know about imaging. And that's question number one before I even start the presentation. And so I was just like, oh, uh, yes, yes, I absolutely will. But I'll tell you what, why don't we do this right after this talk? Come, come, you know, meet with me. I'll walk you through here and I'll show you everything there is to know. We'll sort it out. We'll make sure that you get all of the stuff you need. And I'll, uh, I'll spend time with you after this talk, because that's going to be way more than a 30 minute, you know, conversation. Through. Yeah. And, um, so he put his hand down and I thought everything was fine. I went through, gave the presentation. People seemed to like it. And then afterwards, this guy before, like, I mean, as soon as I say the thing's done, right? Everybody's getting up to leave. He comes running up. I'm standing there next to uh, Rick Hedrick from Plane Wave. He comes running up, gets in my face and literally starts screaming, wanting to fight me, right? <laughs> wanting to fist fight, saying that I shut him down in front of everyone and that, <laughs> and that he drove here just to hear this talk. And he was so pissed off that I did not go through that during the presentation. Instead, I did the presentation, right? He was so mad. I mean, this guy was like spitting in my face saying he's getting me thrown out of knee and everything. So I'm just standing there. I mean, honestly, I didn't know what else to do. So I start laughing like wow. because I'm just like, what the hell are we talking about? What are we talking about? Like, like this is amazing. Actually, like, I wish <laughs> I could video this. Because no one's ever going to believe this unless Rick goes around telling people, which he did. Yeah. You know, how nice of him, right? And um, and so I walk away. I go back and I find Jenny. I'm like, I can't even tell you what just happened because there's no way you would believe me. There's no way. And every time I've been to an astronomy thing since, there's always like this one thing. It's almost a joke now where there's going to be like there's this gonna one be... person oh, yeah. that just absolutely loses their shit over nothing. And causes a massive scene and i will be kind of at the center of that somehow. are you sure you're <laughs> yeah, you not like your way in. are you sure you're not like flipping people off without knowing it i mean you sure you didn't like Man, just you know maybe i did Maybe I did, but uh, I didn't mean to. If that was the case, I was accidentally so blown away, man. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was. Well, he does have those blackouts, so yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. you had a minute where you didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just go into a completely different mode. Go into a fugue state. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 No, it's uh, it was wild, but you know, when I started telling other people, I was, I was prefacing it with the same thing like you know i went and told victor at me and it's like man you won't believe what just happened he's like oh i'll believe it oh, whatever yeah. you're about <clears throat> to say right now i'm gonna believe it you know so i guess that's just a thing that happens sometimes at some of these oh things. yeah yeah you get you get uh, all kinds of personalities interesting and colorful personalities we call them you know i think though 
that all in all, you end up meeting, I feel like everyone I meet at these events, you know, minus this guy, um, it's like you would instantly be friends with these people because oh, they, sure. they share the same passion and everyone you meet is so smart. It's like you say, you always feel like, like, I feel like I love this stuff. I know a lot about it. I do it all day, every day. And the people I talk to, I feel like I have so much to learn from. And these are just like customers and people that share an interest in the hobby. But when you're into this, you're really into this. Oh yeah. You this know? is, this is one of those endeavors that, uh, you know, um, Tina and I talk about, you know, customers that get really fired up like that, like you're talking about. And it's because they're passionate. This is a hobby. This is a, this is an avocation. Most of us aren't making a living in this. Right. So it's an avocation and we're very passionate about those things. And that's why we're here because right. we care. Yeah. We, we love astronomy. We love space. We love the sciences. And I think that's, that's really what it's all about. And then, and that, that's what makes it fun. I could go work in the auto industry and, I don't want to do that. Yeah, no, no. You know, I'm not passionate about cars. Some people are. Right. Bless them. No, I'm here for the long haul. I know you sat in on our full staff meeting, but you can tell, you know, just listening to the staff, I mean, that's how everybody talks about it, right? It's like, you're here because you want to be. And there are so many things that anyone here could be doing, but what can you do where your job is literally to share the universe with people? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's just us that gets to say that, you know, like how fortunate are we to be like, oh man, I've got to go to work today and share the universe with people. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing, man. So no, it's, it's awesome. But, um, I always do like, I almost, at this point, I look forward to that moment. Like when I'm at an event. So I'm, now you're looking for that guy. I'm looking for the guy. You're looking for the Einstein guy. I'm probably <laughs> pausing it now because when it's not happening, I'm starting to get like you, tense. I'm like, where is this you guy? You start getting belligerent <laughs> to people just to bring it out in them, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, yeah. you don't know anything about imaging about- and I do. And I'm not going to tell you about yeah. it. <laughs> That's my secret. <laughs> so everybody that walks up to shake hands, I'm just like, oh, is it you? Are you the one this year? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it is pretty cool. I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's happened a lot. Like those types of things have happened. Does that happen to you? Is it or no? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially, I hate to say it, but especially at Neef. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, there's always, there's always a. We kind of bugged out earlier this year. Uh, we were out by, I think, noon, or which is against the rules of Robotten. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm leaving. Yeah. Well, we um, because in the afternoon, it gets pretty rough. You get you get the looky-loos that come in, and, and they all have some weird esoteric theory about the universe that they want to share with you. Oh, you get those, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so we get people that call right. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've had people call me directly to ask me which telescope to sell them to see God, you know? The God scope. Yeah. Well, you can I, market that. Yeah. TM trademark. <laughs> we generally just put a, I mean, it's got to be a big one. So we throw like a one meter <laughs> on an order, man, and just say, like, when you're ready. Yeah. This, I, I, plane wave. Don't plane know. wave's got something for it. We that. don't know. Yeah. Uh, we don't huh. know. But, you know, if I had to guess, if you're going to be searching the universe, I'd get something big. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know the answer, but you know, I want to help if I can. I don't know. We get a lot of aliens too. Like, oh, I, yes. You yes. get those? Yeah, oh yeah. 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 So do you have solutions for that? Can you help people find aliens today? No, I cannot. No. No. What about your focus? They can't get that. They can't get focused with my they can't. they can't get the aliens with my folks here. No, 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 no. I don't think so. You know, the weird thing about everybody thinks aliens, right? Aliens. Yeah. The little green men, big heads. Yep. Two arms, two legs, yep. two eyes in front. Right. What in the hell makes excuse me? Yep. What in the heck makes people think they're gonna they're gonna look like us? Right. What an egotistical 
concept. For sure. Aliens, what's the second smartest animal on this planet? Uh, that's a difficult... Dolphins? dolphins? Is it dolphins? Dolphins. Yeah. They have two eyes, two ears, or two arms. No, they don't look like us. Yeah. Why would an alien look like us? It's probably when we do finally find life out there in the universe, and I think we will, um, I don't think it's going to look a lot like us. That's probably true, yeah. And uh, there's a lot more life in the sea than there is on land. So you would assume, although I guess it's kind of hard to do intergalactic travel if you're a sea creature, maybe. Maybe not. Take your water with you. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Or I mean, we from... take our air with yeah, us, yeah. right? So I guess it's no different. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, you know, I never thought, I kind of assumed that guy at Neef was an alien. I don't, so, <laughs> he might have been. But that was the egotistical side of me, like you're saying. saying this guy looks like a human, yeah. clearly is not, but hey, man, um, can't win them all. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so the, the alien thing, you know, we get um, we get some people that, that shop for specifically that purpose. I'm sure you do too, but what do you what do you tell people when they call and say, you know, here's what I'm doing because you don't, you know, I don't want to laugh at it because the truth is, as soon as I start laughing at it, that'll be the person that goes out and finds the. Oh yeah, yeah, prove you're wrong. You know exactly, yep. and, and I do believe, even though Tony will argue with me on this, mm-hmm. I do believe there's other life out there, intelligent life. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, I think so too. But I, again, I just don't know that it looks like us. Right. Why right. would it look like us? So there's no reason for me to laugh at the concept of people searching for things like God or like um, aliens or whatever it is they're searching for. I'm not a religious person, but there's abs- I have absolutely no reason to say that that's a foolish idea. Because as soon as I do, it'll be the person that goes out and does it. Sure. You know, but um, what do you tell people when they say, hey, I've got aliens that are flying around my house or whatever, and I want to get a better look at them? Like, what do you... That the question I don't get a lot, to be honest with you. No, no, no. I think, um, you know, we're, we're more on the serious imager side and, uh, you know, not the systems aren't used to track moving quickly, moving objects in the sky per se, but, uh, um, I guess I haven't had that question directly. Wow. You guys are doing well to yeah. not, to not be getting, we get that regularly. Actually. Yeah. I get that once a week, I bet. Really? Once a week with somebody very, very serious and generally, upset that they haven't already been given the answer yeah okay yeah it's a, do you tony i know you get that in your comments and oh stuff, yeah people upset yeah that, what do you how do you handle well as a, as a science communicator what you tend to get and this is true with professional astronomers who do science communication as well is you'll get this contingent of people who uh, for you know uh, one of the things i do in my videos is we talk a lot about the big bang and the, and the expansion of the universe and inflation things like that and there will be many, many people who will just debunk, just say Big Bang's a theory. It's it's a, it's false. It's been proven wrong. I have a better theory. Here is my theory. Um, there's also a thing out there called the electric universe. I don't know anything about it other than what I just said. But there's a lot of people out there that really believe in this thing called the electric universe, which apparently explains a lot of things that science doesn't currently know. And they will ask me what I think of this and that Um theory i have a new theory for star formation that i think most astronomers have missed they would say something like that and the way you handle that kind of thing um is you you just say well okay that's an extraordinary claim that's amazing that you have a different explanation for the beginning of the universe that doesn't match what what everyone else is currently thinking where's your evidence now this is if you want to engage in it um most professional astronomers won't even engage with this kind of thing. I've tried to engage from the perspective of the flat earth people because they are somebody whom I felt I 
could maybe offer something that they would want to listen to. But then I discovered that these people, the ones who have different theories for how the universe began, the ones who think the earth is flat, the ones who, you know, want to find the, you know, who have proof of God, all of this kinds of stuff, they aren't interested in a rational argument for why what they're saying isn't true. They want validation of some kind and they won't listen to anything that isn't. So it's not really worth it in many cases to engage with these people. Now with the alien question, someone will say, well, I, especially in amateur astronomy, we see this all the time because we spend so much time looking up. We see strange lights. We see things that don't make sense. We'll see a what we would assume is a satellite going over, but then it does something weird. Uh, and then I'll get questions like, well, what is that? What did that? What is this thing I saw on Thursday? Well, of course, I don't know, but, you know, they'll, they'll just they'll just want to know, you know, I saw this weird thing. What do you think it was? And those I'll try to answer. I'll try to say, well, can you give me more information? What did you, you know, what exactly did it do? And I'll say, well, it could be um, a satellite, but maybe there were two satellites, but only one of them you managed to see. Uh, and it seemed to make a right angle turn, but these were actually two satellites crossing apparent paths and you're from your vantage point maybe you saw it, what appeared to be something doing something unnatural really wasn't there's lots of things it could have been and if the person is honest with this query then they'll they'll take that at face value goes yeah you know i know that what i'm what i saw was really weird and i guess it could be anything and they'll let it go at that but some of them really won't let that go they will fight you on it so no i think this was an alien sitting behind a cloud and i only just saw it and i go Okay, well, there's not a whole lot I can say then. Um, good luck with that, and I hope you're right. I mean, nobody wants to see aliens more than me. So if you've seen them and you've got some pretty good evidence that they're there, then great. I would I would love to see it, and I'm happy that you found an alien. And then you just let it go, because otherwise it's just it's too time consuming to to engage in every single thing. And it's oh, yeah. I think a combination of people who are some of them are genuinely curious, but they're susceptible to things, right? They're susceptible to things that maybe conspiracy theories or whatever it is, but they are genuinely interested in learning the truth. And then there are those who just want to be trolls. Um, you can see those pretty clearly. I mean, you know, I think what Justin's, Dustin's experience was, uh, was very trollish, you know, somebody who just wants to be a troll, but the, uh, the ones who are honest, I think you can engage if you have the energy for it, but there's so many, so many people. Have you seen, have either of you seen uh, anything that you couldn't explain? No. I haven't either. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will say one thing. Um, <clears throat> so it, it can be explained, but we were down to Peru last year. Uh, my wife and I went down to, uh, we did a seven day hike into Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. Wow. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now that's, oh, it was amazing. Story. It was amazing. <laughs> but the, uh, um, the, the building work there that's attributed to the Incans. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. The accuracy of, of these, the stonework that they did. Uh, the buildings were phenomenal. Most of them had been destroyed, of course. And, you know, the ones that weren't have been recovered slowly from the jungle or whatever. Um, I've been listening to Joe Rogan recently and he had a guy, Graham Hancock on who was talking about, you know, not so much aliens, but that there was perhaps a, an ancient civilization. We're talking 13, 14,000 years ago or older. And they got wiped out by a impact mm -hmm. Iceland. Now he's got a whole theory. 
And it's one of those things, yeah, okay, guy with a you know, funny hat, you know, with the funny propellers and all that. But if you listen to the arguments, right? <laughs> if you really yeah. if you really listen to the arguments, like, okay, so he's got some valid points he's trying to make. Now he's not uh he's not a research scientist. He's more of a um compiler of of information and he's got this theory. It's interesting. But it's the same kind of thing you're talking about. It's like you can't dismiss it immediately. Right. You can't. You simply can't. If you are truly a seeker of knowledge, if you're truly a scientist, because we do, as we get older, especially, we get hung up on the current theories. You know, there was a time when the Big Bang Theory was scoffed at, right? Right. There was a time when um, the idea that the dinosaurs were wiped out by uh, an impact was was absurd, Mm -hmm. you know? But today we now accept that. And it almost takes a generation of scientists rolling over basically to get the new theories and the new understanding. And right now, all sciences are moving so fast and so quickly. It's hard to keep up. I worry that what you're bringing up right now is something that I I worry that we're all a little bit guilty of, you know, because people do have these outlandish theories that when they come, like you want to laugh at it, you want to say, oh, this this is clearly a waste of time and stupid. But, you know, some of the most brilliant minds out there have kind of pointed out that the universe doesn't work the way we want it to. It just works the way it works. Like, look at Douglas Adams, right? He made a joke of the entire thing, and it's probably more realistic than anything we want to believe. Oh, yeah. And I just think that, like, all of the things that we attach to absolute, like, that we say we, we know this to be true, Every time that any generation in history has done that, it has proved to be a mistake every single time. And I think that us doing that now is no less a mistake. I think we should do exactly what you're talking about. When somebody brings something forward that may sound crazy, but if there's anything about it that sounds like, well, I don't know how to explain that exactly, it, you should pursue it and, and say, like, well, yeah. you know, maybe we can say this is wrong, but let's look at it and let's look at it openly and objectively and figure out why does this kind of fit in this middle ground of knowledge right now? Why, why can't we just put this to bed? You know, like the Iceland thing. It's a hard thing though. It's a hard line to walk. You know, I come from a, the fitness background, health background. And, um, so we did a lot of like endocrine reporting for people, you know, you take blood panels and you try to solve problems using that, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it's a little more stable than like a caloric model or a macro model, something like that. But, um, you know, so like right now there's this, this fad or this, this guy that's selling tons of books, but he, uh, he is giving people health advice as a medium, right? So he's talking to dead people and those ghosts are giving him answers that he says science hasn't caught up with yet, but the ghosts are giving him the answers. So you can't prove it and you shouldn't try is kind of, because I mean, you either believe it or you don't. And that's kind of the mindset of, of the followers. And I mean, I'm talking about millions of people. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it's a hard line to walk because you want to say, like, we need to be open-minded. We want to pursue these paths to figure out the truth. But the other thing is, like, this is people's health at risk here. Right. You know, and so where do you draw the line and say, we know this is bullshit enough that we should say, look, until you can come up with something, something that is solid – you shouldn't put people's health at risk. This is not something you can't tell people you're going to cure their cancer by talking to a goddamn ghost, right? You got to talk to, you got to, you got to have something there to back up when, because sometimes it's not just concept. It's not like, oh, well, did the universe start this way or this way, right? Like it's, nobody's getting hurt by that conversation. Right, right. But when health is involved or, you know, when you are literally 
changing like you know people saying oh we can't teach evolution in schools now because it's offensive or whatever like this is this is yeah. different this is impactful this has um implications that i think hurt humanity yeah that's and uh, can certain you see what i'm saying oh, like, there's, totally there's kind of a i distinction. think listen i think you're right that's totally a different uh, uh area there and i if there is a hell there's a special kind of hell reserved for those people who do the medium stuff because i think that's cruel and it is uh first of all it isn't it's not even remotely related to science and it's based on uh, charlatanism. It's just, I, I can't believe people prey on others using loved ones or their, their pain and suffering, uh, to try and for their agenda, whatever it happens to be money usually. But if there's a guy out there doing that with health, I think that's criminal. I think that's just awful. You know, I think the problem and the reason people that argue it though, is they say, well, you know, his followers by, you know, the hundreds are coming out saying, this helped me, right? This rescued my, my skin is clear now, or, you know, my disease went away or whatever. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, the argument from people is, well, he's not hurting anyone. So what's the problem if he's not hurting anyone? And I think that, you know, and it's not just this one thing I'm using this as an yeah, example, yeah. right? But, but you see what I mean? It's like, where do you draw that line? When it's when it comes to the sciences, I think we kind of have the benefit of talking about things that don't have an immediate impact on today's living. Like the Big Bang. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Right. But but science in general, I think that you get into some implications here that you have to be a, a hell of a lot more careful with. Yeah. What what with, with what is science and what is not is a very important problem we all face right now. Uh, we need to be careful about, you know, what is a scientific question? What can science actually help us with and what can it not and we're and because science has been so successful in our history to, to help us to understand nature and the technology that follows from that understanding it's been so successful we tend to think that science can do everything and if we throw the word science at it then suddenly it's got some kind of great credence that it wouldn't otherwise have and whenever you're talking about anything related to theology or in this case uh, mediums talking to dead people that's not science and we, but what, yeah, it's, what it's outside the realm yeah, of science. And what muddies the waters are scientists themselves are, are going out into these realms and pretending to be authorities. You'll hear, you'll hear Stephen Hawking or before he died, talk about what God, we don't, we, we've disproven God, Richard Dawkins at length spews all kinds of nonsense that he, he's not even oh, yeah. remotely qualified to talk about, uh, that isn't science. He's, He's venturing out into non-scientific realms. To be an atheist is not a scientific statement. That is a religious statement. It is a statement about, I do not believe in God. That is a God statement, not a science one. And so it is important that we understand this distinction now. And it's getting muddied a lot. And I, I think that... You know, when we meet these people who come into astronomy, whether it's in an astronomy at NEF or, or any amateur astronomy gathering, these people, I've got all these things pent up inside of them. And the new, the new people to the hobby especially have all these ideas that they want to express to people. And it's important that we have patience for it, especially if they're new to the hobby. But at some point, there's a, you gotta, you gotta walk away and say, I'm sorry. I, I, this is just taking too much of my time to talk about. I don't think you're right. And here's why I don't think you're right. And it's, it's tough. It's very, it's very hard. You want to be welcoming, encouraging to new people in the hobby, but at the same time, you know, you can't be having all your time taken up with the electric universe or dead people yeah. telling me that this is a healthy way to 
I agree. <laughs> and I think that the value of science proves itself, whereas the value of other things does not. You know, you in one of the last podcasts, yes. we, we mentioned that human history is roughly two million years old when the earliest forms of right. humanity were there. Right. And so it took humans almost two million years to get to the Dark Ages without the scientific method. And then with a relatively globally adopted scientific method in less than 200 years, we're walking on the moon. Yes. You think about that, that's powerful, yep. right? That's powerful. And that's not something that anything, including, look, I love philosophy with a passion. I'd say probably I'm more passionate about that than I am even science. And I love science, mm, right? Me too. But I think that you're not going to say that philosophy has that same power. It just simply doesn't. You can ask the why questions all day long, but it's all the other one, the how, the what, the when, yep. the where, you know, these are the things that are going to bring people where they're going. And it's been proven time and time again. I mean, everything we want to accomplish, we have accomplished with a single methodology. The scientific method. Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, the science is the pursuit of knowledge and truth, right? It's the pursuit. Mm -hmm. So we never get to a point where, okay, we know it all. Yep. Or, okay, we know this is right. If something comes along and disproves a big bang in a big way, Hey, I'm sorry, guys, we're going to have to abandon it and go with wh where the evidence points us. That's right. And that's an especially important example because nobody brought scientists into a theory kicking and screaming more than the Big Bang Theory. They did not like, nobody the liked the idea. Einstein, nobody liked the idea that the universe had a beginning. I still don't like it. It was not, it was yeah. a problem from day one. Yeah. Nobody wants that theory to be right, no. but it just happens to be what we see everywhere we look. But, so, And the thing <laughs> is, every... It passes every test. Yep. Every time we come up with a new, more intelligent or a more creative way to test it, holy cow, it passes. Yeah. yeah. So that's why it's here. And it, it's got some legs. It's got some longevity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, evolution doesn't wait on people to understand or appreciate it. Right. <laughs> no. You know, and then this evolution of knowledge, I think, is the same thing. It doesn't matter whether you like I hate the Big Bang. I hate it. I do not. Yeah. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely hate it. But you know, it's not going to be any less right because I hate it. Right. So, right. and, and you have to accept that as a rational being. Yeah. Right. If exactly. you are truly a rational being, you don't, uh, you don't attribute any of your personal biases yeah, to, and, you know, yeah. so the, the, the evidence lays itself out. And if you're open-minded enough to, to read the evidence, then the truth will be found. Oh no, no I'm, I'm not a rational. I throw a fit about everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything I just, you should have heard me on the Fermi paradox yeah. podcast, man. I, yeah. He was pushing, I he was pushing hard for there to be intelligent yeah. uh, civilizations out there. There yeah. are, there okay. are, there okay. are definitely intelligent civilizations out there. You just, um, Tony, get comfortable with being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was actually once, but it turned out I wasn't. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm trying. It's just so unfamiliar. So very unfamiliar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Okay. Well, I want to thank you guys so much. This has been a great episode. I want to thank our guest, uh, Jeff Dickerman. He is responsible for sales, service, and new product development at Optech, which is a company you, if you don't know about, you need to learn about. They Their website is optechinc.com, and you can check out their, their 
wares there. Definitely have some good stuff. Jeff, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to us about, about well, everything, really. Well, thank you, Tony. I, I appreciate it very much. Uh, it's been kind of fun, and we're going to have a good day here at OPT. Oh, good. Yeah, have a, always a good time at OPT. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. I'm Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space, and as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. <laughs>